Okay, go ahead and be finding Daniel chapter 5 in your Bibles. Daniel chapter number 5. Last week we were looking at uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and seeing the testimony of a pagan. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was as uh, wicked a man as what we can find, it seems like. He was arrogant, egotistical. Uh, he was an idol worshiper. He was pagan. Uh, he had... Uh, instituted idolatry into his nation uh, on a greater extent. Uh, he thought that by making this one idol, he could bring all of the nations that he had conquered together. And so we know where he made the idol, set it up on the plains of Dura, and commanded for everyone to bow down and worship whatever the music was played. That was the kind of man he was. Uh, he thought that uh, he was uh, invincible, that he was almost godlike, uh, he was conquering, he was overcoming, and he gave God no glory, and he didn't realize that everything that he had and everything that he was had come from God. And so there came a day that God decided to humble him. And all the way through Daniel so far, we've seen God in his mercy, uh, in his long-suffering, his patience, dealing with Nebuchadnezzar, revealing himself to Nebuchadnezzar through the... Uh, the three Hebrews and through Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar kept getting uh, these glimpses of God and of uh, a people who were uh, loyal to God and serving God and how God blessed his people. He was seeing the power of God whenever all of his soothsayers and magicians and astrologers came up short that God's people had the answers that he was needing. He saw all these things, but he would have short moments where he gave God the glory and then he would revert back to his old ways until God decided to show him finally that he was God. And so Nebuchadnezzar was uh, feasting and was living sumptuously as he was used to. Things were going good for him. He was at the top of the pile, if you will. And God gave him a dream, a vision. And once again, his, uh, his men couldn't interpret it. Daniel comes in and says, God is getting ready to show you who's boss. He's getting ready to take you and your arrogance and humble you. And he's going to take you and basically make you insane. You're going to be driven out of the palace, out of your throne. You're going to become as a wild animal. You're going to uh, roam naked in the fields and eat grass like an ox. And all these things are going to happen to you for seven years and then when you learn your lesson, God is going to allow you to be restored unto your place. And basically Nebuchadnezzar blows it off because, hey, he's the king. Who's to say this is going to happen to him? It's never going to happen to him, right? And after 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar stands in his pride and he says, look at what a kingdom I have built for myself. Look at how great I am. Look at how great Babylon is. And within a matter of moments, it seems, at least within a very short amount of time, uh, the prophecy that had been revealed in the dream, the one that Daniel had interpreted, had came true, and he was driven out of the palace, and for seven years he was wet with the, the dew that his hair became like feathers matted together. It had been like dreadlocks down his back. His fingernails grew out like claws. It says that in another place that he was fed amongst the asses. And so he went out and ate grass, ate hay like a wild animal. He went completely nuts. That's what happened to him. He lost all, all his mental faculties, really, and became as a wild animal. 
And after that, finally his sense, his reasoning came upon him, and he glorified God, and he said, truly God is a God of gods. And we can look here at the end of chapter number four. Uh, verse number 34, it says, At the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom my honor and my brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways, judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Nebuchadnezzar changed his tune. God was able to get a hold of him, reveal himself to him, and Nebuchadnezzar responded. Now we've seen plenty of times throughout scripture that God showed himself clearly to people and they still hardened their necks and hardened their hearts. Think of Pharaoh down in Egypt whenever God showed himself mightily, probably even more so than he did unto Nebuchadnezzar, and yet Pharaoh still refused to acknowledge God, refused to worship God. And so we're not saying that God is forcing anyone anywhere, but Nebuchadnezzar responded. God revealed himself, Nebuchadnezzar responded, and I believe Nebuchadnezzar was converted. I believe that he uh, got saved, as saved as you can in the Old Testament, okay? And I believe one of these days we get to heaven, we'll probably be able to see Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, And so that is a huge thing because we know that Babylon was where idolatry began. We know that it started back with uh, Nimrod, back whenever he began to worship the sun god, and they built the Tower of Babel, all of those things. That was Babylon. We see Babylon all the way through Scripture, and we see it in the end times as a picture of the, the uh, nations that are going to rise up in the end and the kingdom is going to come up. And uh, basically Nebuchadnezzar started out as a picture of the Antichrist. I mean, he was ruling over Babylon, over the kingdoms of men and exalting himself against the God of heaven. And God was able to abase him. And at the end, he was praising God and giving God glory. So today, as we get to chapter number five, we're going to be reading about another king in Babylon, uh, King Belshazzar. And King Belshazzar uh, it says here, uh, was the son of Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to see in just a moment he would have actually been the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, and I'll explain why. So two generations have passed. Nebuchadnezzar had a child. His daughter married uh, a conquering ruler, and the two of them had Belshazzar, okay? And so Belshazzar, Belshazzar would have known the story of Nebuchadnezzar. He would have heard it well from Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar would have warned Belshazzar as Solomon had warned his children. You read the writings of Solomon, and as he uh, writes in Proverbs, and he says, my son, listen to these things. Heed my words, and he tries to impart wisdom to his sons. And then we look at the history of Israel, and we see what kind of son Solomon had, and he had foolish sons. And so similar to that, we find that Nebuchadnezzar 
uh, found out, learned who God was, but yet we're going to find that his grandson was foolish and ungodly and repeated the same mistakes of his forebears. And so this is what we're going to find in this passage. And let's go ahead and read in Daniel chapter number five. Um, I'd like to read the whole chapter, but I'm not going to. Y'all go to sleep, get bored, something. Uh, so I'll read you quite a bit here, though. Uh, so verse number one, it says, Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the, the part of the hand that wrote, then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spake unto the wise men of Babylon. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read the this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing or make known uh, to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar, <coughs> excuse me, then was King Belshazzar uh, greatly troubled and his countenance was changed in him and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever, let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in the kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods is, and in the days of thy father, uh, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say, Thy father made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, forasmuch as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts, were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read the writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing, and I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be third ruler in the kingdom. And so we'll stop there for right now. And as we look at this passage, I said earlier that this Belshazzar would have been 
the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And I know as we read down through there, it talked about father and son and different things. We got to remember in the Old Testament, there wasn't a word for grandfather, okay, or grandmother. There wasn't a uh, word for grandson or granddaughter or anything like that. And so oftentimes in the Old Testament, we find uh, that the descendants of a man are deemed to be their son, okay? Or the one that they are descended from is deemed to be the father. Uh, as we find oftentimes in Scripture, they talk about their father, Abraham, right? Mm -hmm. And go back to Abraham. Whenever they talk about Jesus, they say that he is the son of David, okay? And so with that, I don't want you to get confused in the language of this, uh, but what we find from history is that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, whenever he came to the end of his life, I, I can't remember what it was, I think, that he died of old age or was murdered, whatever it was. But anyway, whenever he died, there was a great uh, conflict in the nation over who would be the next ruler. There was a short succession of different rulers. And finally, uh, uh, Nabonidus, I believe is how you pronounce his name, uh, was a general. He was one who uh, was a great military leader, and he had married Nebuchadnezzar's daughter to give him a greater tie to the throne. And so he conquered the land. He became the ruler, but he wasn't much interested in actually being the king. He liked battling. He liked fighting. He liked being the general. He was expanding the kingdom and protecting the kingdom. And so his son, Belshazzar, became his co-regent. Okay, and so Belshazzar was the the son that reigned while his dad went out and fought the battles. If any of you have ever uh, read Robin Hood or seen any movies of Robin Hood, you know you've got King Richard as he's going out and fighting the battles and all these things, and you got Prince John that is reigning as the king and kind of holding the place while he's going. This is the situation that you had here. Okay, and so uh, as he is here ruling over. Uh, Babylon, while his father is out conquering and doing all these things, uh, he is not a good king. We find here that he is one that is living it up. He is partying, and he has no desire for the things of God whatsoever. He is squandering the things that Nebuchadnezzar had uh, built up in his lifetime. And so in all of this, and by the way, if you want further uh, proof that what I'm saying is true, look at Jeremiah chapter 27. I don't want you to just take my word for it. Jeremiah 27. And ver 27 and verse number 7. And this is Jeremiah's prophesying toward Babylon. And it says, And all nations shall serve him, Nebuchadnezzar, and his son and his son's son, until the very time of his land come, and then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, said the Lord, with, uh, with a sword and with famine and with pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand. And so as we look at that passage, it's referring to Nebuchadnezzar and his reign, and he says, uh, if you're familiar with Jeremiah, okay, I, I want to lay a little bit of foundation, a little bit of groundwork before we go into this passage. If you're familiar with Jeremiah, he was the prophet that prophesied 
to Judah before they were carried off into Babylon. He began his ministry while Judah was still going well. They had turned their backs on God. They had seen a time of prosperity. And Jeremiah came and said, you've turned your back on God. God's going to bring judgment. They laughed and mocked and scorned him because the land was doing exceedingly well. They were multiplying. They were rich. They were wealthy. And they said, hey, look, God's blessing us. And you're telling us that we're a cursed people. And so they mocked Jeremiah because God was long suffering with his judgment. So it's kind of like where we're at today. We can be warning people, telling people that the Lord is returning, that judgment is coming on the earth, and they mock and they ridicule and say, hey, look, things have never been better. We've got this under control. That's what was going on whenever Jeremiah was prophesying to the people. But in, during Jeremiah's uh, ministry and to the end of his ministry, um, we find that Nebuchadnezzar comes in and fulfills the prophecies that he has prophesied. If you look through Jeremiah's prophecies, he's known as the weeping prophet. He wrote the book of Lamentations, which is basically a funeral dirge. And this is the funeral song of the land of Judah because they're being carried away captive. That's what Lamentations is. And so Jeremiah is mourning over them whenever they're carried away captive. And so to draw a couple things from the Bible together, Daniel would have came on the scene at the end of Jeremiah's ministry. Okay, Daniel was carried away into captivity as a teenager. So his time growing up was spent under the ministry of Jeremiah. While Daniel was still back in the promised land, he was listening to Jeremiah saying, Babylon is going to come and conquer. Babylon is going to come and defeat us. He's, they're going to carry us away captive. God had instructed uh, Jeremiah to tell the people of Israel, the people of Judah, to submit to the yoke of Babylon, to go into Babylon and build houses, plant vineyards, raise families because they were going to be there for 70 years. And Daniel grew up hearing Jeremiah prophesy and preach. Okay, So Jeremiah was the one who was the, the forerunner to Daniel, if you will. And so Daniel would have been a disciple of Jeremiah, so to speak. So whenever he was carried away into captivity as a teenager, much of his thoughts about God and his understanding about what was going on was sharpened and was clarified by the things that he had heard from Jeremiah. He may have been skeptical, as many people would have been, and thought, okay, Jeremiah doesn't know what he's talking about until Nebuchadnezzar came. And when Nebuchadnezzar came, he said, that guy knew what he was talking about. And he would have spent time studying and he would have been familiar with the writings of Jeremiah. Okay? And I'm doing all this for a reason. I'm saying all this for a reason. So Jeremiah laid the groundwork for Daniel, gave a great understanding to Daniel about what to do during the captivity and what it was about, why he was there, how long it was going to last, what was going to be the end of it. And so Daniel was obedient to the word of God and that is a lot of the reason why Daniel and his three friends there prospered so much in the nation of Babylon is because Jeremiah had prepared them for it. And he could look back to, at Jeremiah's words and his prophecies and his writings and say, this is exactly what Jeremiah said was going to happen. And so I'll just do what God said to do while I'm down here in Babylon. I'm not going to fight against it. I'm not going to kick against it. I'm going to submit to the judgment of God, and I'm going to continue to serve him in Babylon and God blessed him for that. 
Okay. And so that's going to frame our understanding of the things that Daniel now is going to say to Nebuchadnezzar, or not Nebuchadnezzar, to Belshazzar, and Belshazzar's uh, attitude toward God and the things of God. We read all the way back in Daniel chapter number one that whenever Nebuchadnezzar came up, laid siege against Jerusalem, that he carried away the best of the best of the people of Jerusalem. That would have been Daniel. Okay. We know that Jeremiah stayed behind. He got imprisoned in a pit. Different things happened to him back in Judah, but he didn't leave Judah. But Daniel did. Okay. And so whenever he sieged Jerusalem, he also carried away all of the all of the treasures out of the temple. Remember us talking about that and how God was able to preserve his lineage and also preserve all of the things out of the temple because we know that whenever the, the Jews came out of captivity, what did they bring with them? All of the instruments from the temple. And so God used a pagan storehouse. They were bestowed upon an idol's temple to preserve those until they were time to go back and be put in the new temple. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And the same thing going on with Daniel. So these are things that God was working during these times. These are things that are showing us kind of the way that this uh, overlaps in Scripture. I don't know if you ever made the connection between Jeremiah and Daniel before. Okay? If we were to, okay, just let's take a side road for just a second. Okay? If you were to look at the Bible, you find that from, uh, let me look here real quick. If you take the first part of your Bible, especially um, Genesis through Second Chronicles, you find a historical account. You can go on up to Ezra, Nehemiah, and even up into Esther, and it gives us a historical account of all of the Old Testament history. Okay. And it goes from, of course, Adam and Eve up until where the people of Israel are carried away into captivity. And then even after the captivity, if we would go on into uh, looking in Ezra and Nehemiah, those were after they returned from the captivity and started rebuilding right before the silent years. Okay? And so there was that history. And then if you look at Psalms and Proverbs, and the rest of the Old Testament, those are like the appendix to the history. Okay, They're added on afterward. And so Psalms was your songbook for the Jewish people. And Proverbs was a collection of short, pithy sayings, uh, general ideas or pearls of wisdom, if you will, that were collected together for the people of Israel. And so some of the smartest people of Israel came up with short generalizations that the people of Israel and us today can apply to our lives about living this life, about our relationship with God and things like that. That's Proverbs. Okay? You get into the all of the prophets. Those didn't happen after the things that were before them. But instead, like I said, it is an appendix. It is added on the end. And these prophets existed during the times of First and Second Kings First and Second Chronicles, and even some up through Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah. Okay, and so they overlap one another. 
And so if you're reading about in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles about the people of Israel being carried away captive, Daniel and Jeremiah was alive during those times. They were ministering during those times. Okay? And so you can take those and just like layer them over each other. Okay? So like I said, this was just a side road to help you understand how the Bible is constructed. And so Jeremiah and Daniel existed at the end of 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles. By the way, you got 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles basically tell the same thing. One was written before captivity. The other was written after captivity to tell the people of Israel where God had brought them through and what God had done. It's like a, a record of the history. So if you read you know, 1 and 2 Kings, even 1 and 2 Samuel, and then you read 1 and 2 Chronicles, it's like, I could have swore I just read this. Yeah. You did. And so it's basically the same history wrote to two different groups, okay? And so these prophets would have all existed during that time, scattered, dispersed for different purposes, telling about the coming judgment of God upon his people, okay? So is any of that new news to anybody? Maybe a little bit? Okay. So anyway, coming back to Daniel, I'm getting off track. Coming back to Daniel, we find Belshazzar here, uh, grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he had a huge witness of God working in the life of his grandfather. There was a testimony in uh, Babylon of Daniel, of Shadrach, of Meshach, of Abednego, and of Nebuchadnezzar, of the hand of God there, and how Nebuchadnezzar had praised God. He had even made it to the place where no one was able to say anything negative about God. Basically, he constructed some of the first blasphemy laws against God. Okay. And these things were going on, and then we come down to Belshazzar, and the occasion of this writing, when this is happening, Babylon thought that they were invincible. They thought that they could not be conquered. I believe that Nebuchadnezzar and that Belshazzar knew the prophecies against Babylon. They had Daniel there. If you look at the last two chapters, I believe it is, of Jeremiah 50, 51, or 51, 52, I can't remember. It tells about Babylon's destruction. Okay? It even says that they're going to be destroyed at the hands of the Medes. It has references to the water being cut off from the city and how the city is going to be conquered. It tells all of it. And they probably knew it. And so what happened was the Medes and the Persians were a growing empire. They were marching against Babylon. Babylon had a double wall and a moat around it. They thought that they were impenetrable. They had a river that ran through it, so they had plenty of water, because that was one of the easiest ways to overcome the walls was to cut off the water source. If they couldn't get water within a day or two, they were going to be coming out from those walls and you could slaughter them, right? Mm -hmm. And so they had a water source coming into the city. They had it all walled up. They had a, an impenetrable fortress. They were untouchable, they thought. And so while the Medes and the Persians were gathering outside of the walls, Belshazzar throws this feast with all of his rulers, all of his princes, all of his wives, all of his concubines, the leaders of his military, his army generals, all of those people would have been gathered there. And it, they had already um, amassed to them all of the false gods that they had in the land, and they had collected them to this place that they were having this feast, and they were celebrating the gods of silver and the gods of gold 
And they were basically saying, because of who we are, our power, our riches, and all of our idols and our false gods, we are untouchable. So they sat around having a drunken feast while the enemy gathered outside. And by the way, that was prophesied by Jeremiah as well. It said that they would be drunk whenever the enemy attacked. Go back and read it. It's there. And so it was prophesied, and they were drinking themselves drunken. Uh, they were completely out of their minds, and the enemies were outside of the walls. And I believe that, and this is speculation, full disclosure, this is speculation. I believe that Belshazzar, in his mind, thought that he was more powerful than the God of the Israelites. He was more powerful than the God of the true God that Daniel served, that Nebuchadnezzar had found. And so why is it that in the middle of this drunken feast that he was having, that he decided to call for the vessels that were from the temple in Jerusalem to drink out of? He said the Medes and the Persians are on the outside of the wall. There's no way they're going to defeat us. The prophecy of their God is going to become as nothing. And so let us just kind of push this in God's face. Let's mock this God who said that I was going to be destroyed, that I was going to be consumed because I have defeated him. And so as the enemy is gathered on the outside, they're drinking, they're parting. He goes and gets the vessels and he begins drinking out of the holy vessels from the temple in Jerusalem, drinking wine from those vessels that were meant to be only for the priests of the most holy God. And he had all of his harlots and all of his concubines and all of these false, uh, the priests of false gods, everything else, drinking from these that were holy and se uh, se uh, separated, uh, sanctified for God's use. He had them drinking out of these cups. In verse number four, it says, They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, brass, iron, wood, and stone. And so they were making a complete mockery of God. And so it wasn't because of a lack of witness, a lack of knowledge, a lack of testimony that he was ignorant of God. Okay? There are plenty of people in this world who are extremely ignorant of God, but it isn't because God hasn't made himself known. He has made the knowledge available to all men. The Bible says in Romans that even from creation, he is clearly seen and understood and that they are without excuse. But Belshazzar had an extra helping of revelation of God brought into his life, and yet he still carried on ignorantly and had this drunken feast and mocked and basically shook his fist in the face of the mighty God and so what ended up happening? What was the result of this? Well, we know about the handwriting coming out, uh, the handwriting on the walls and things. But if we skip on down to the end of the chapter, verse number 30, it says, In that night, same night, okay, same night he was drinking out of the vessels of the holy temple, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. That night he died. And Darius the Mede took the kingdom being about uh, three score and two years old. History tells us as they were having their little drunken feast, their drunken orgy there in the, the king's house, that the Medes and the Persians 
rerouted the river that ran through Babylon under the walls of Babylon and marched through on the riverbed under the walls. Pretty ingenious, right? They were too busy drinking themselves silly inside of the, the king's palace to realize what the Medes and the Persians were doing. They redirected the water, marched in, and captured the city, while all of the people who should have been defending the city were drunk in the king's house. And that night, Belshazzar was slain. That was the end of him. And at that time, it was the end of the Babylonian kingdom. And so that's what history teaches us. But what does this teach us today as Christians? What can we learn from this? Because so far I've brought a lot of academic things out. I've told you about construction of the Bible. I've told you about different prophecies and how they were coming about. But how do we apply this? What lessons does it teach us today? The first thing that I want to bring out about this is, as I've said several times already, Belshazzar was acquainted with the truth, but he rejected it. And so there is no guarantee whatsoever that just because you have Christian family, just because your mom or your granddad or someone in your family was a Christian, doesn't mean that you're automatically in. Right? There are a lot of people that are relying on other people's faith to get them into heaven. It's not going to work. doesn't matter how drastic of a conversion Nebuchadnezzar had if Belshazzar doesn't likewise put his faith and trust in God alone. And so it takes a personal walk with God. It takes a personal, uh, a personal conversion, not just a family uh, knowledge or conversion. And so that's one great lesson that we learned from this. Another thing that we want to learn from this is that it is wise for us to learn from the mistakes of others, learn from the lessons of those who have gone on before us. Because Daniel is going to bring out here whenever he comes on the scene, he's going to bring out and say, you were aware of all that God did in Nebuchadnezzar's life. You knew about all of these things. You've seen all these come to pass and you've heard the prophecies and you've heard what he has written about God. And you've seen how he was arrogant and proud and God was able to abase him. And yet you followed down the same stupid path he did. And that's what Daniel basically tells the king. He has no reason to be afraid of him because, as we're going to see here in a minute, that he was weighed in the balance and found one, and he was getting ready to die. What's he going to do to Daniel? And so Daniel just tells him how it is. And so Belshazzar didn't learn the lessons that were taught to the people before him. Uh, I've often said that a smart man will learn from his mistakes, but a truly wise man will learn from the mistakes of others. And a foolish man will learn from neither. And that's Belshazzar. And so he didn't learn from the mistakes of Nebuchadnezzar, and he also didn't learn from the successes. Now, you all know that I am not much for tradition. Okay? I don't care much for tradition. Now, if they have good reason, good purpose behind them, then so be it, but I'm not much for tradition. But here's the thing with Belshazzar, he would have been wise to learn from his grandparents. Yeah. He would have been wise to take the lessons that were passed down to him and apply those to his life, and he refused to. Mm -hmm. And so there's a great lesson for us to learn in this, that we need to look back to those who've gone on before us 
and learn the lessons from them that they've learned, look to the wisdom that they have had, and to apply that to our own lives. And that's going to go into future generations as well, and I hope that my children are going to not follow the path that Belshazzar went here, but instead they are going to take the faith that I have had and my parents have had and grandparents have had and different ones, and they are going to make it their own faith. And they're going to continue in those things and not be foolish as he was and say, forget all of that. I'm going to turn away from it and I'm going to go my own path. I'm going to thumb my nose at God and I'm going to go ahead uh, straight toward destruction. That's what the Belshazzar did. And you see it happen oftentimes throughout scripture whenever there is a godly, uh, a godly person and then you see their foolish descendants, right? There is no promise there that just because there is a godly lineage that there's going to be a godly heritage there. And so we find it with Solomon. We mentioned him, the son of David. David was a giant amongst the faithful, right? He was a man after God's own heart. Solomon was one of the wisest men that ever lived. He'd done a lot of stupid things. But they all pale in comparison to the stupidity of his children. They didn't learn the lessons that were put before them. They didn't continue in the faith that was set out before them. And so we've got to learn these lessons that are passed down. And so it goes both ways. I don't know about Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know what how he was involved in the life of Belshazzar. Maybe he was even dead before Belshazzar was even old enough to really learn from Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know. But we as parents need to pass this faith, this knowledge, these experiences down to our children, and we as children need to gain this faith and this knowledge from our parents and keep this going from generation to generation. I'm not saying that everything parents do is going to be right. We evaluate that by Scripture, and that's where we learn from their mistakes as well. Just because our parents were able to do it and got by with it doesn't mean that we're okay to do it as well, right? And so there's this relationship between Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar that we can learn a lot about. But if we continue on down through this, it says that the same hour as he was praising these gods of wood and iron and gold and brass and silver, the, the hand of God came about and wrote upon the wall, and his alcohol left him. He sobered up in a hurry. Yeah. He sobered up in a hurry. And uh, and so he, whenever he saw this, he sobered up in a hurry, and he was wondering, what is this writing? What does it mean? And he called for all of the wise men of Babylon and said, interpret this for us. Tell us what this is all about. And none of them could do it. And so he was repeating the same mistakes that his father and grandfather had made. Remember how Nebuchadnezzar had uh, called for all the the soothsayers and the, the astrologers and the wise men, the Chaldeans, to come and interpret for him, interpret the dreams and different things. None of them were able to do it, right? And so he's doing the exact same thing that Nebuchadnezzar had done. And the lesson that we can learn from this is that the world is going to continue looking for answers in all of the wrong places. They're going to go back to the same dry wells, the same wrong places to look for the meaning of life, to look for the answers of life, to try to find truth, and they're going to come up empty every time. And so whenever whenever Belshazzar called for these guys and said, we need you to interpret this writing on this wall, they said, we don't have the answers. We don't know what to tell you. 
And so as the world goes about, and they are looking for the meaning of life, they're looking for the answers, they're looking in all the excesses of the world, they're looking in power, they're looking in knowledge, they're looking in prosperity, they're looking in entertainment, they're looking in all of the vices of this world, they're trying to find something that satisfies and they're coming up empty every single time. But what is it that finally brings about the truth to Belshazzar? says that the queen comes to him. Yeah. It's good to have wise women around, right? <laughs> yeah. the, the queen comes to him, and now this wouldn't have been his wife. Remember, he had all of his wives and concubines there with him, drinking themselves drunk in this big orgy, whatever they were having. This would have been either the wife of Nebuchadnezzar or uh, the wife of, the wife of uh, Nabonidus. So it was either his mother or his grandmother, okay? And so she would have been the queen there, and she comes and she says, I remember that there was a man. Whenever your grandfather had the same problem you have right now, I remember there was a man who came and was able to give him the answers that he needed. And so you need to search out, you need to find Daniel. And so there needs to be someone who is willing to go, someone who has seen God working, someone who is acquainted with God that is able to go out and tell where the answers to life's problem is. And it is in God. It is in his word. And so this woman comes and she says, if you're wanting your answers, you need to go to someone who knows God. You need to go find Daniel. And so anyway, he goes and gets Daniel and uh, he says, someone told me you could fix my problem. Right? And Daniel comes to him. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't mince any words. He says, uh, in the part that I didn't read here in uh, Daniel chapter 5, 17 and following, I'm not going to read it for sake of time. But Daniel says, your, your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, was proud, was arrogant, thought that he was the one that was in charge. He thought that all of the things that he had and his mighty power and his wealth and his kingdom came from him until God took him and showed him that God was in charge. That God could just as quickly take away the breath that he had given him and the life that he had sustained in him and the kingdom that he had provided him with, that God is the one that holds all things. And so God has told your grandfather, he has showed him these things, and yet you haven't learned this same lesson. Verse number 22 now let's go down to, let's do 21 first. It says, and he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like beasts and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. So your grandfather learned that God was in charge. And now his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thy heart, though thou knewest all this. You knew all of these things, and yet you rejected them. See, it's not a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of understanding that people have. It is a refusal to accept the truth. Yeah. And he says, but hast lifted thyself up, excuse me, thou hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver, of gold, of brass. 
iron, wood, stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. So this is the sentence that is brought against him. You had full knowledge of the things of God. You can't argue and say that God was unfair. You can't argue and say, well, God didn't tell me. He says, you knew that you were in the wrong, and yet you persisted. So in the day whenever God judges this world, all of those who have rejected him, all of those who have went their own way, all of those that thought this life was about them, whenever he judges them, they are not going to be able to say that God is mean or that God didn't tell them. It comes back to what he said in verse number 22. Thou knewest all this. You were aware, but yet you haven't glorified God. And so now he turns to the writing on the wall in verse 25, and this is the writing that was written, mene, mene, tekel, afarsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou hast weighed it in the balances and found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. If you're in the habit of underlining in your Bible, that word mene means numbered. The word tekel means weighed. And perez means divided. So he says, you've been numbered, you've been numbered. You've been weighed, and now you're going to be divided. In other words, God has given you an opportunity. He has given you a time. He has given you a chance, a number, a period, a place of grace. God has given this to you, but now he has weighed you. He has measured you out. You have came up short. And so now he is going to divide. He's going to take the kingdom that he has blessed you with. He's going to take it from your hands. He's going to give it to another. Verse 29, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. By the way, if you had any question whenever I was saying that Belshazzar was co-regent, look here, he was the third ruler. You had Nabonidus, his dad, Belshazzar, the son, and Daniel would have been the third ruler of a kingdom that was going to be defeated in a matter of hours. <laughs> Woohoo! Right? Yeah. And so Belshazzar keeps to his word. He bestows these gifts upon Daniel right after Daniel just said, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting and God is going to strip you of your kingdom. So why is it that he clothes Daniel, puts the gold about his neck, puts him in this position? He is still rebelling against God. He is still saying, okay, Daniel, glad you said that, but I want to prove to you that it doesn't happen. Because who wants to be the third ruler over a kingdom that's falling, right? Yeah. And so he's still acting like he's going to continue to be the king. He doesn't then run and hide. He doesn't bring his armies and say, we're going to fight against this. He's just like, no, nah, it's still not going to happen, Daniel. Let me show you. You want to prove your God wrong. Yeah. But verse 30, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. So we've talked about in Jeremiah how all these things was prophesied. We've talked about how God was long-suffering and revealed all of these things to Belshazzar. How Belshazzar still hardened his neck and refused and rejected, even though the truth was revealed to him. 
And then now God has brought to pass the very same things that he said was going to happen. So the last thing I believe that we want to learn from this is that God is sovereign and he is in charge. If he has said something is going to happen, it's going to happen. If we read the scripture and it is in his word, it will come to pass. We can look at the Bible and it already spells out what's going to happen in the end times and in the last days. We know how all this is going to turn out. We don't know every stop on the route along the way from here to the destination, but we do know what's going to happen at the end. It may seem like uh, the wicked reign today. We see all kinds of uh, corruption within leadership, within governments. We see uh, wars and fighting. We see disease and famine. We see all kinds of things going on in this world today. And a lot of people are wondering, what's going to happen? What's this world coming to? What's wrong with this place? But then we look at the Bible, and God has already said, I will come and I will set all things right in the end. I have a program, I have a plan, and it is going to happen just the way that I said it would. So if we know God, if we are uh, truly saved here today and we know him, we can take heart, we can take comfort in knowing that we serve the one who is writing out the playbook. Exactly. The one who is writing the script and the one who is capable of making it come to pass. Yes. We can fight against it. We can rebel against it. We can question it. We can argue. We can do all these different things like Belshazzar did. But at the end of the day, it's going to happen exactly as he said. Right. And so we can take comfort in it or we can ignorantly fight against it. It's a choice. Yeah. But our God is good. And so we look at a comparison of this, and maybe I said we were already on our last thing, but one more thing, right? <laughs> With Daniel, he was carried away captive from the promised land. He spent this time in Babylon. He has already existed through a few different pagan leaders in Babylon, and yet God was still with Daniel. God was still protecting him. He was still prospering him, taking care of him. And so the Medes and the Persians have just sacked the city. They have just overran the city. And Daniel was one of the key advisors. So in our human minds here, if the enemy defeats the city, what happens to the king and all of his advisors? They're killed. What happens to Daniel? Anyone know? He survives and he just basically takes from his place with Darius, or excuse me, with Belshazzar, as being the third ruler in the nation. And now he rules over the nation of the Medes and the Persians. How does that happen? It happens because God takes care of his people. Exactly right. God takes care of his people. Yes. And so for us as Christians today, we serve a good God. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. If we're faithful to him, we just continue following him, serving him, seeking after him. He's going to take care of us. He's the one that's driving the bus, if you will. He's the conductor of the train. And so if we get on board with him, he'll see us safely to the destination. Right? We can take this transportation analogy a different way. We can go back to Noah and he had a boat, right? 
God took care of the ones that was on his boat. By the way, he extended an offer to everyone else to get on the boat. You realize that Noah's ark was big enough for a lot more than Noah and his family and the animals? There was plenty of room for other people to get on. There was plenty of room for Belshazzar. If he would have believed the truth that was revealed to him through Daniel and all these others. It's not that God is pushing anyone away. God has extended the opportunity to whosoever will. But just like in Noah's day, some believed and got on the boat. And a lot of the others rejected and refused. Daniel and his friends, they got on the boat. Nebuchadnezzar, he even got on the boat. Belshazzar, no. You see this? For us today as Christians, hope you're on the boat, right? If you're a Christian, if you are saved, if you're born again, you're on the boat. The truth has been revealed. Jesus says, or the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You get in the boat. If you trust his word, if you trust what he has revealed, you get on the boat. But everybody else says, no, I don't want to come to him by faith. I want to come and I want to offer up my good works. I'm going to be a, a good Christian. I'm going to be a good moral person. I'm going to go to church and I want to give and I'm going to do all these things. And surely God will let me on the boat. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's one way on the boat. And so Daniel revealed it plainly to Belshazzar that there is a God in heaven, a God that does all things well, a God that has already said what's going to happen, already knows the end from the beginning. Daniel believed him and just continued following him, and God took care of him. There was a choice that was made there. So does anyone have any questions, any comments on what we've looked at uh, in Daniel chapter 5 today? Nothing else? Okay, well, if there's no questions or comments, we'll go ahead, we'll go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll take a short break, and we'll come back in for preaching. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and we do thank you for this time in your word. Lord, we thank you for the examples that we see in Scripture, how you take care of your people, and how you continue to extend, uh, extend mercy and extend uh, patience toward this world and seeking after them. Lord, we see that oftentimes people reject you and refuse and Lord, we just ask you, Lord, Lord, just to continue to work in hearts and lives and help us to be like Daniel. Help us to be a light and a witness in this world. Help us to be pointing folks to you. Thank you so much for all that you do and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.